in this interim period and a, a, a new plan, a new program, a new contract is not in place. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Europe is on its back. Now it's really impacting everything. Economic efficiencies, which means more job opportunities. More stable investment has been the preferred asset clause. Money for nothing. Good morning and welcome to Money for Nothing with me, Renita Malhotra-Hura. U.S. President Obama proposes a 19% tax on foreign company earnings. Greece asks the ECB to help keep banks afloat as Cyprus fights for a debt deal. And the yen advances with Aussie bonds on shrinking China manufacturing. Today is all about taxes on money for nothing. President Obama has introduced a new tax proposal for U.S. companies' overseas earnings with an expected budget and with an expected budget surplus here. Maybe Hong Kong is due for a tax overhaul as well. We'll ask our guests this morning. Aisha Lau of KPMG and, of course, Barry Wood, uh, our international economics correspondent based in Washington. We'll also ask uh, Jim Walker of Asianomics about the potential impact of a Greek default and what that means for Asia. Alex Wong of Ample Capital is back in the chair as guest host. Good morning, Alex. Good morning. So, Alex, as goes January, goes the rest of the year. How true do you think that is? Oh, I think uh, for January, we had a very volatile month and probably this would be true for the whole year because we had too many uncertainties ahead. So this year is not about the direction, but about the volatility, I think. All about the volatility. That's become the new normal, huh? Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, Robert Dahl is a Chief Equity Strategist at Nuveen Asset Management, and here's what he says about this. Uh, we think the economic fundamentals here in the U.S. are pretty good. Uh, we've had some uh, smacks, as you know, in earnings related to the stronger dollar, uh, declining oil prices, weakness overseas, and can we get through that or not will be the question. Our guess is probably yes, but it's not going to be simple and it's going to be bumpy. Stocks had been churning lower, but they've picked up some steam since the ECB has issued its stimulus. Uh, I think that the the ECB is not what's driving the uh, decline in U.S. equities this week. It's the factors I just mentioned. Uh, uh, Europe uh, has a lot of issues, not just um, the fact that they need some quantitative easing. I've used the line, the ECB's quantitative easing is a necessary but not sufficient condition to fix what ails Europe. Central banks are closely watching economic movements overseas. Now, Russia surprised the world by cutting interest rates about 2%. James Bullard is the president of the St. Louis Fed, and here's what he makes of this. I don't know about the Russian move in general, but the, certainly the Fed pays a lot of attention to global developments uh, all the time, and we did make this small wording change in the statement, but uh, I think that's just reflective of the fact that we're, we're always talking about the global economy and how, how those factors are going to come back and affect the U.S. economy. So if you look at past minutes, for instance, of meetings, there will always be talk about you know, various uh, uh, economic developments globally. So I think this is just, you know, the change in the statement on that phrase is just a, uh, you know, reflection of the reality of the discussion around the table. 
Bullard does think that there is underlying momentum in the U.S. economy, but can you raise rates with an in, with a headline inflation uh, falling or even stable, but at around one and a half percent? As long as we feel confident that uh, inflation will go back toward target, and right now that is my baseline projection, that inflation will go back toward target. And so I think we're uh, certainly uh, able and willing. Zero interest rates is not the right interest rate for this economy. We are much closer to goals than we've been in a long time. Uh, Inflation is a little bit low, but it's not low enough to rationalize the zero interest rate policy. That inflation gap could rationalize somewhat lower interest rates, but it can't get you all the way down to zero. To zero. I mean, zero is, you know, 350 or 400 basis points from normal. You know, you're a long ways away from normal. That's why I think there's there's some pressure in the U.S. to come up off zero. Even if you came up off zero, you'd be at 50 basis points or 75 basis points. That would still be extremely low levels. It would still be accommodative, and it would still mean inflation had upward pressure, and you'd, you'd be moving back toward your inflation target. So what does world economic growth look like as a whole? Here is Mark Faber of the Gloom, Doom, and Boom Report. Europe is unlikely to grow. Maybe it grows by 1%, maybe contracts by 1%, could be statistical aberrations. I don't think that the U.S. economy is picking up. I think it's slowing down. And in emerging economies, we have no growth at the present time. Now, in some countries, they may be growing at 1%, 2%, and in others, there is a contraction in industrial production. The Chinese economy, which is the dominant emerging economy in the world, is definitely slowing down. India, on the other hand, has probably at the present time around 5-6% growth. But in general, if you look at global exports, they're flat. If you look at the global reserve accumulation, they're flat. So I think that we will face a disappointing 2015 in terms of economic growth. But in general, I think a lot of markets are uh, not terribly expensive, but not bargains. Any good news sounds like it's already priced in. Well, at the Barron's fall conference, I think it was in October, I said the Chinese economy is slowing down, but the stock market will go up because markets and the economy can move in different directions. And uh, there is a lot of central bank interventions and expectations by investors. What? The central bank will do next, and so investors pile into stocks in the expectation that the Bank of China will essentially ease. So uh, Dr. Doom says that there are a bunch of shorting opportunities out there right now. And he says that uh, the best way perhaps to short central banks is by going long on gold. Alex, what do you think of that? Well, I think uh, gold actually is uh, very volatile as well, but uh, it it has changed a little bit this year. Uh, last year, they, they, uh, gold has been under pressure, but I think uh, this month, uh, gold had been returned as a risk averse asset, so probably that would be true. I think uh, we would see some upside in gold, uh, given the uncertainties ahead. And do you think that there are other shorting opportunities out there? I mean, Faber says, uh, you know, his view is to short tech companies and internet stocks, uh, semiconductor companies. What do you think? Oh, I, I, I don't agree on the internet, but I think uh, semiconductors uh, does uh, look uh, bad uh, right now because of falling margins and uh, uh, um, 
dis- disappointing to disappointment in sales. I think uh, probably uh, semiconductors will be weak, but I think internet probably would stay strong because uh, if you look at last week earnings, we had very strong perf- after, we have strong stock performance of uh, of Google, Amazon after the results. So I think uh, uh, internet remains a very scalable and 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 a and, and big internet companies remains a safe haven for many in- investors. All right, the Nikkei is down seven-tenths of a percent uh, this morning to 17,550. Australia's ASX index is up three-tenths of a percent to 5,567. And Seoul's Kospi is also up just slightly, 0.2 points to 1,949. Well, President uh, Barack Obama's fiscal 2016 budget will seek new taxes on trillions of dollars in profits accumulated overseas by U.S. companies. Also, a new approach to taxing foreign profits in the future. Now, Republicans appear to be skeptical of the plan. Let's bring in uh, Barry Wood, who joins us on the phone from uh, Washington, D.C. Good morning, Barry. Good morning, Renita. Good morning, Alex. So, Barry, can you explain this twofold taxation proposal of uh, put forth by President Obama? Not in great detail, but I can tell you the main thrust, as you have uh, suggested, it is to go after these hundreds of billions of dollars the United States corporations are keeping in places like Luxembourg and in Ireland and get them to bring it home. The companies, of course, say that they keep it overseas because U.S. tax rates are too high. Corporate income tax might be as high as 35 percent in the states. So the president is, I think, on the right side of history when he wants to go after this. When he talks about a 14 to 19 percent tax on this, a one-time tax to bring it home, and then an ongoing tax to keep it back at home, then he's maybe making a strong political statement, but it's not going to go anywhere in the Congress, Renita. But I do Mm. think it sets the stage for tax reform, which I think could happen in 2015. And, Barry, what really is the difference? I mean, you know, he's talking about 14% on earnings uh, piled up abroad and 19% on future foreign earnings. How is this different to a straight tax of 35%? Well, the the fact is that if you declare these profits in different places, then you're not, in fact, having profits in the United States. It's that simple. So, in fact, the, the idea is, let's have American corporations play as if they're really American, and not just uh, companies that are so global that they can keep their money anywhere. And, you know, Apple is a main offender in all of this. But, look, I think most people who analyze this as accountants say, well, you know, this is the reality of the financial system. And if it is legal, and apparently it certainly is legal for companies to do this, then they will. Now, the president, I think, has laid out a strategy. If the Republicans are clever, sometimes they are, then they'll probably embrace the concept and say, let's put this together with a broader package that would reduce the income tax on corporations and get these companies to play by the rules that are more traditional. Indeed. I mean, but look at the phenomenal growth of companies like Apple or certainly any of the multinationals abroad. I mean, would you consider this at all to be sort of anti-business? I mean, doesn't it disincentivize U.S. companies from growth abroad? Well, it does. And let's face it, President Obama, in his six-plus years in power, has not established a sterling reputation as Mm. pro-business, pro-investment. 
Mm. He has been someone who likes to emphasize that we've got a 1% very wide income disparity and that he takes the side of the workers, of the, of the middle and lower classes. So his record does not inspire confidence in the Republican Party. You're quite right. Alex, what do you think of this? Well, I think, uh, of course, of uh, we, it was affect the um, uh, uh, the investor mind on on investing in global companies like Apple. But I think uh, it would be hard to pass. I think we would see the progress of this proposal. Barry, um, of course, this affects wholly owned uh, subsidiaries abroad. But what about joint ventures? You know, situations in which uh, U.S. companies, um, uh, you know, their counterparts abroad are actually jointly owned by themselves and local partners. Uh, what does this do uh, to this taxation proposal? Well, Renita, I think you've taken me into accounting in a way that I really would be um, ill-advised to answer. I just don't know the answer to that. I do know that United States companies are making money in China, but it is a rather difficult situation in terms of analyzing just how much they make in China and in other places indeed. But accounting, global accounting, different accounting systems, after all, between many companies, many countries in the United States. This is a very complicated area. Taxes in the United States in particular are a very complicated area. And we need, desperately need, tax simplification and tax reform. Absolutely. So, yeah, uh, I agree. I mean, uh, President Obama might have uh, certain ideas at hand, but, you know, it's probably not going to be as easy to implement, certainly all of it. All right, Barry, uh, thank you for joining us. Always good to hear from you. That is Barry Wood, our international economics correspondent based in Washington. The time is now 8.16 a.m. and Greek uh, Prime Minister Alexis Tsipras has appealed to the ECB not to shut off the money tap to Greek banks. Yet he doesn't want any more aid under the existing bailout agreement. The question is then how are the two reconciled and what does this actually mean for Greece? Let's bring in Jim Walker of Asianomics uh, for more. Good morning, Jim. Good morning. Thanks for joining us uh, on Money for Nothing. Jim, is Greece headed for a default? And if so, how will this affect Asia? Well, if it's not headed for a default, it should be, because that's the only way that they're going to get themselves out of the trouble that they're in. But it's, uh, it seems to be that uh, not just the Greeks, but the Europeans are willing to, to spin wheels for as long as they possibly can to just keep this Euro project together. Um, it, it's pretty disastrous for uh, Asia. The, the, you, you've seen already the uh, the problems of economic growth in Europe. Well, the, the whole policy is geared towards making sure that there is no economic growth in Europe. That's what the adjustment process is all about when you do a deflation internally, and that's exactly what the, the policy is, uh, is aimed at. And, of course, what that then means is that uh, Europe doesn't grow. And, of course, what that then means is that we can't export to it. Yeah, absolutely. Now, but Asian central banks are, are cutting rates and introducing stimulus. So would you say we are entering a new period of competitive currency devaluations? Oh, I think that's a wee bit of a stretch, to be quite <laughs> honest. Uh, it's certainly the case that Asian currencies have fallen against the dollar. Um, but every currency has fallen against the dollar. And some analysis that we're going to put out later today for our uh, clients 
If you look at the trade weighted indices of uh, exchange rates around the region, there's actually only two countries in the last six months that have uh, had a depreciation. Most of the rest of them have appreciated against their trade weighted partners. So Korea and Malaysia are the two that haven't, and their depreciation is all of 1%. So I don't think we're actually in a trade war in Asia. So, um, Jim, how would you say that China would respond to all this? Well, the renminbi has weakened a little bit against uh, the, the, the US dollar, but again, it comes out as the strongest currency in the region. Uh, if you look at its trade-weighted basket, it's, uh, over the last six months, it has appreciated by 9%. So the, the Chinese are pretty well holding the line, as it were, in terms of uh, a stable currency. And, of course, what they're also doing is, uh, when that's the case, they're adding to global demand. Alex, your thoughts on all of this? Well, I think uh, China actually had. I agree that we, we should look at the trade-weighted uh, index uh, on RMB. So China had 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 a problem because of its uh, strength in currencies, and and I I think uh, probably we would see uh, weak manufacturing uh, um, index in in in, the, in China to continue because we are seeing uh, plans to shut down and 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 goes to other places already. Jim, what would you say is your outlook for growth in China? Oh, <laughs> well, we, we tend to be slightly lower than maybe the market uh, when it comes to the Chinese real growth numbers. And I don't mean real GDP, I mean the actual growth numbers. So we're at 3 to 5% for Ooh. this year. Uh, so, wow, that is uh, significantly lower. So uh, tell us why. <laughs> well, the industrial economy is in deep trouble in China. Uh, the industrial economy centred around the property sector. And if we look at the numbers um, from property and from the, the industrial production side, then you see a very, very weak Chinese economy. The good news is that the services sector seems to be booming, uh, and hence the labour market is relatively balanced. But uh, in industrial terms, China is basically in recession. Okay, so coming to Hong Kong then, how do you think Hong Kong will fare, and particularly if the US dollar strengthens even further? Well, Hong Kong's fortunes are kind of tied to China, so mm. things slow down here when China slows down. It's much less of a, 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 an international export centre than it used to be. It really is the services centre for China uh, and uh, benefits from money flows into and from China. And both of those are going to slow down. So the Hong Kong economy is going to be relatively weak. Now, we did have good uh, retail sales growth in Hong Kong. But, you know, of course, a large part of that was due to uh, the iPhone sales of, you know, sales <laughs> growth of the iPhone. What would you say is the outlook for retail sales uh, going forward? Well, I think we're headed for uh, low single digits uh, through 2015. Okay. And uh, are you as uh, bullish on India as everybody else appears well, to be? We were bullish on India before everybody else. Oh, before, um, okay. <laughs> that, that, that's been our top call since uh, October 2013. Uh, and it's currently, if uh, our clients have taken our advice, up 49% uh, since, uh, since we made the call. But uh, yes, this was a, a, a very easy one because it was really just a, a business cycle turning point in India. Nothing to do with uh, elections and nothing to do with politics. It's huh. really all to do with the way that the economy had rebalanced and companies had, uh, had changed their behaviour as regards their balance sheets, shrunk balance sheets, uh, improved their debt position and are now heading towards uh, a much stronger growth outlook for the next five years. So will it continue? Oh, yeah. No, this is a, a long-term prospect. How uh, long-term? Well, we, we would say between five and ten years uh, for the upturn in India. That's definitely good news. Alex, do you agree? 
Oh yeah, I think so. I think India has a, a good demographic structure, so we we would see a, a, a good years ahead. I think. Yeah. All right. Well, Jim, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Jim Walker is chief economist at Asianomics. A police uniform represents a vision and a commitment to uphold the rule of law and to maintain law and order, to safeguard and protect life and property. And to ensure that Hong Kong remains one of the world's safest and most stable societies, this is our home. Let's work together to fight crime and safeguard our city. To report crime, call the police hotline to five two seven seven one seven seven. Time is now 8.23 a.m. And in currencies, one euro will buy you 1.13 U.S. dollars. The U.S. dollar is currently trading at 117 yen. And one pound sterling is worth 11 Hong Kong dollars and 69 cents. Well, Hong Kong is expected to announce a budget surplus again. <laughs> is it time to change the tax policy here? Let's ask uh, Aisha Lau. She is partner in charge of tax at KPMG China. Good morning, Aisha. Good morning, Renita. So, Aisha, you uh, all at KPMG, you're expecting uh, another budget surplus. Can you give us the details? Yes. Um, well, I would say we're pretty optimistic for this year's budget surplus. We are predicting a surplus of possibly as high as $65 billion, which is much, much higher than the government's original estimate of $9 billion. That's amazing. What have we done right this year? Well, or right we are, yes, we're saying, well, we are, we think that, um, revenue from profits tax and stamp duty will come in higher than the government's original estimate. Profits taxes, because I think, um, maybe government was a bit too conservative when they did the original figure and still think that the business sector would be affected by the global financial crisis. But from our perspective, we think that um, in fact, business fared quite well, reasonably well last year, which would bring in more revenue for the government. But uh, more importantly, it's because of stamp duty, increase in stamp duty revenue uh, with the uh, coming into effect of the double stamp duty, as well as um, higher transaction volume, both in terms of properties as well as share transactions. So what then do you see as the top priorities for the Hong Kong government this year? We at KPMG, we conducted a survey recently uh, and received uh, almost 400 responses. And from our KPMG survey, over 70% of, of our respondents tell us that they would like to see the government priorities for the coming year to be uh, increasing the competitiveness of Hong Kong, as well as uh, uh, doing something uh, to help people's livelihood and also the housing issues. Housing issues, okay, I definitely see that. Increasing competitiveness, now the Heritage Foundation recently said that Hong Kong is the freest economy. Um, how can you actually increase uh, competitiveness even more? Yes. In terms of competitiveness, our respondents actually see operating costs as uh, a key concern for business. Um, and so what we propose is uh, firstly to help the SME to introduce a reduced rate of 10% profits tax, reduced rate of 10% for SMEs. And we would like to propose that uh, for um, businesses with turnover of below 5 million, 
would qualify for this uh, preferential rate. This would help them in terms of reducing the costs of operation, uh, operating in Hong Kong. Also, uh, we also would like to see some tax incentives mm. to attract companies to set up corporate headquarters, regional headquarters, or service companies in Hong Kong. Uh, because, um, as everybody knows, these activities are actually very mobile. People don't have to come to Hong Kong. So we believe in making use of our tax system to um, align with our economic goals and helping uh, global businesses to see Hong Kong as the right choice to locate these uh, mobile services. And tax is a good way to do so. It is. It is indeed. Now, Aisha, when you talk about introducing these tax incentives for corporates to set up headquarters here, do you mean foreign companies? Well, uh, not only foreign company, because of course our, our tax code does not really depend on whether you're a foreign company or a Hong Kong company, but simply looking at their activities. Uh, if their activities, uh, of course, it needs to be properly designed, uh, fall into uh, the activities that we want to promote Hong Kong as, as a hub for corporate headquarters, as a hub for uh, uh, uh regional or global service companies, then they should all qualify for this reduced rate. Alex, would love to ask you, um, mm. how do you think uh, Aisha's uh, tax proposals sort of stack up with uh, President Obama's tax proposals oh, I think, in a U.S.-Hong Kong situation? Oh, I'm not too familiar with the U.S. tax system, but I think uh, for, 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 for what I've heard from her is, is very good, I think, uh, because uh, we... We did have a, a, a problem of relying too too much on stamp duties and and, and those uh, property taxes. I think so. Uh, we need to see some something changes. And the problem for Hong Kong is the the operating costs. We had a very high labor cost and also high rental cost uh, as well. So uh, we need to do something to 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 make companies to think about Hong Kong, I think. Yeah. All right, Aisha, uh, very interesting stuff. Thank you so much for joining us this morning on Money for Nothing. That is Aisha Lau, and she is a partner in charge of tax at KPMG China. So here we are, a few minutes just before the end of the show. Let's take a quick look at the numbers. The Nikkei is down 181 points to 17,492. Australia's ASX index is up 15 points to 5,566. And Seoul's Kospi also up six points to 1,955. Gold is currently at $1,280 per ounce and Brent crude oil is $51.98. All right, Alex, here we are, the mm. end of a Monday. What should we be looking out for this week? Oh, very volatile week ahead as, as usual, I think. And then uh, probably uh, we would see some weakness in Hong Kong because of the strength in the U.S. dollar, as I mentioned last week, I think probably we would see some uh, acceleration of the fall if we break below some key uh, support this week. So, so the outlook for this week is not too good. I think volatility hmm. heading into the second week of uh, first week of February. Yeah, second month. All right, Alex, uh, thank you so much for joining us this morning. That is uh, Alex Wong. He is the director, uh, managing director at. Uh, Ample Capital and our regular Monday co-host on Money for Nothing. And this is Renita Malhotra-Hura wrapping up the show. Quick look at the weather forecast for today. It'll be mainly cloudy with a few sunny periods during the day uh, with some, apart from some haze. The temperature right now is 15 degrees Celsius and the relative humidity is 82%.
Now it's time for the news summary with Samantha Butler. Labour Party leader Lee Chert Yan says the government shouldn't misinterpret the low turnout at yesterday's pro-democracy march. The organisers had expected 50,000 people to take part in the march between Victoria Park and Central. Instead, they said 13,000 people turned up, while police put the figure at 9,000. Speaking to RTHK this morning, Mr Lee, who joined the march, said the turnout didn't mean people's demand for democracy had faltered. No one should have the reading that the urge and the demand for democracy had fought her, uh, but r- rather actually people have to remember, the government had to remember they have the Occupy movement for over 80 days. This already shows very much that the people of Hong Kong are fighting for democracy and do not want the framework imposed by the National People Congress and we want true democracy. And secondly, I think the turnout showed that the people of Hong Kong uh, want more different way of expression and uh, marches people may feel is not enough. Egypt has freed and deported the Al Jazeera journalist Peter Grester, who was convicted of colluding with the Muslim Brotherhood. Radio Australia's Hayden Cooper reports from Cairo. Peter Grester was set free by order of Egypt's president under a new law allowing foreign prisoners to be deported. He travelled straight to the airport with his brother and boarded a flight to Cyprus en route to Australia. He was said to be in good health despite spending 400 days in prison in Egypt, convicted of spreading false news. 